Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast. We are back again to talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. And today, my friend Sam is back with us, and we are going to be talking about a subject that probably uh, a word that you've heard many times in the media today, and that is the question of privilege. Uh, How do we as Christians understand it? How do we use this concept correctly? And uh, how does it apply to us as we're looking at the world around us? So, Sam, welcome back. It's good to have you back. And it's only been like a month and a half. Yeah, it's been it, it's been a while, though. Yeah. yeah. A month and a half feels like a long time. And every time we record, we're in a new location. Today, we we're, yeah, we're at the church and we're on the stage. So it's kind of fun. I feel like we fun. just move from room to room within the same building. That's, well, not even in the same building because previous episodes have been at like a different studio in downtown. So it's like the the, the background story of the podcast is the traveling locations that we've <laughs> recorded. I've rec- I think we've probably recorded at like five different locations. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, one day when we get really big, we'll have our own recording studio somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's good to dream. Good yeah. to set goals. So <laughs> you, you, you're on the university campus and even though it's a Christian university, I mean, it's, it's hard to escape like this. You're the one who brought this concept of privilege. Like what, I guess before we dive in, what made you, what made you want to talk about this today? Well, a number of things. First of all, it's something you always hear about, right? This concept of um, white privilege or Western privilege or European um, privilege. You know, there's there's a lot of different forms of quote-unquote privilege that people are talking about. And um, I'm just not sure it's necessarily the right word we should Mm. be using to describe these things. Um, It kind of hit a point that was really interesting. I was at a young adults um, gathering, and the preacher basically told all of the guys in the audience, if you're a white male, you need to apologize for your privilege. And this is at a church gathering. Like, wait a second, like, I I need to, like, what what am I apologizing for What is the crime that I... What's the crime I've committed? Like, obviously, racism has been an issue in the past. Of um, course. But I can't take responsibility for somebody else's actions. That is their burden to bear, not mine, right? Um, and, And I thought that was just really interesting because it got me thinking like how should we be addressing this as christians right this concept of privilege and so easily i think we get into this we get roped into social uh, ideas and philosophies around us in the world and we don't think carefully and critically enough before swallowing them right yeah and also it's one of those things where they become politically or socially popular to say a certain thing or sound a certain way right and we don't really question them critically right just sort of go along with it and also because if you say oh well you know i'm not privileged or whatever and other people think you are you suddenly become a very unpopular person and often get labeled the oppressor right well and here's the thing the other the other thing about it is like it's an easy way to gain acceptance uh hey if i use these keywords and if i just adopt them into my vocabulary i am then in you know, and I'm right. accepted and I'm part of something bigger. And today's world is hyper politicized. Everything's hyper politicized. Oh, yeah. And the crazy thing is that uh, increasingly today, uh, people are more identified by way, what they're against rather than what they are for. Oh, right. For and, sure. And all you need to do is say, oh, yeah, I, I, I use these labels and boom, I'm part of it. So it's not that simple, though. Yeah. But I think what it really comes down to is over the last gee, what, 100 years, probably, um, culture has experienced a radical shift in how it classifies people who have advantages over other people. Right. That's really what it comes down to. 
And I, I think a lot of that companies, I mean, it was existentialist philosophy. There was like Jacques Derrida, there was um, Camus and um, Nietzsche, that, like the philosophers who sort of ushered in the foundation for a lot of the social movements of the 1900s. Basically, it's kind of, kind of a season when philosophers questioned stuff. They questioned, questioned objective truth, right? Questioned. Being the biggest thing, mm -hmm. um, and they also questioned the political systems and economic systems that were set up. Um, right. They have traditionally been how the world runs, and um, so how does this whole pri yeah? Let, let's dive a little bit. Where does this idea of privilege come from? What are some other keywords that it's attached to? How does it all work together? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the big things is that if, like from a Christian perspective, mm -hmm. right, um, the 1900s saw a dramatic decrease in the number of people who ascribed to the Christ Christian faith. And with that, I mean, if you don't believe in God, then there's no such thing as a blessing mm -hmm. because God is the giver of blessings, right? right? There's only an unfair advantage. There's only privilege. There's only things that have power. to be corrected by man. There's power, there's one creature oppressing another creature. Mm -hmm. But blessing is a foreign term if you're an atheist. Right. Right, like an atheist who says he's blessed is like, is confused. By what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, blessed by who? But by your, your lucky stars? Like what's yeah. that supposed to mean? Um, blessing entails a personal universe? universe? Bless, yeah, blessing has to entail a power that is bigger than you giving you something that you did not deserve. Right. That's fundamentally what a blessing is. Well, and I think so connected to that, I think contrasting the Christian view of the universe versus like the atheistic, you mentioned earlier Nietzsche, who basically said there is no God. He's the, he's the famous guy who says God, God is, is dead. dead. Yeah. And, and so he says God is dead. There is no right and wrong. The ultimate thing there is is just power. Everything is power, right? So if, the, if, if there's no God, there's no right and wrong, there's only the will and the power to assert yourself right. uh, and assert yourself over the difficulties of life and assert yourself over other people and other creatures around you, right? So, and that kind of flows into this guy named Karl Marx that we hear a lot about, Marxism, mm -hmm. uh, socialism, where it's, it's inherently an atheistic society, uh, atheistic uh, cultural perspective, because it's taking this idea of power and then applying and then like kind of filtering everything we see through this idea. Well, everything is power. Everything is one creature asserting power over another creature. All these institutions, all these rules, all these governments, all these religions, it's just one creature. Right. Power the factory another. owner versus the workers, the, right. the bourgeoisie. I, I, I can't bourgeoisie. speak French. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very good at French. <laughs> I can say bourgeoisie. Yeah. You probably say it in Russian. <laughs> yeah. Actually. Um, but it's it's just really interesting to see how that shift has has happened over the years. Um, and so, connecting that to so cultural Marxism. Um, and, you know, we hear Bernie Sanders talking about socialism all the time, like how everything is unfair, right? But how do, you, how do we think about power just briefly, right? Because this idea, all power in, and all structures in society are just oppressive. Yeah. Right? Because this ties into privilege in a little bit here. I mean, the fact is that we live in a world in which people with certain advantages will always get ahead. 
Right. That's just, that's how it is. I mean, if you think that that's not the case in a communist or a socialist society, right. then you need to read history because somebody always got ahead. Right. Someone right? was in charge. Someone was in charge. Someone has to be doing the equalizing, doing the distributing. Um, but if you look at this at a more fundamental level, if I am born, if I'm not, like, if someone is born, you know, with a combination of supermodel genetics and um, an Einstein level IQ and incredible charisma, right? They're going to have an advantage over everyone else, no matter what kind of society they live in, right? Right? Um, there's no way to actually to completely there's no way to flatten it equalize out. It's part of everyone's blessings or advantages or privileges or whatever you want to call them, right? Some people sadly are born less intelligent mm -hmm. and they will live a life that reflects that. Um, some people are born beautiful. Some people, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, um, was an incredible athlete. Yeah. Right. So if you're wanting to equalize things, you either have to bring those people down or bring everyone else up. And I'm not sure how you decide what is just compensation for not being born a star athlete. Right. Well, and there's no way to, what you just said highlights that this idea that all power and all, any privilege over another creature is um, inherently harmful and bad. Right. That's actually just totally not in line with basic reality. You cannot flatten the world out yeah. to all equal, everything equal. I mean, there are, certain, there are certain situations in which some people take advantage of others. Right. But if you look at the gifts that most people are given in like a Western capitalistic society, they're able to use those things to make other people's lives better. Right. Right. Everyone who's ever watched a basketball game and enjoyed the process has been able to appreciate the privilege of these people. Right. Right. If you've ever um, used a computer or a cell phone, you appreciate the privilege of people who are very intelligent. Right. And were able to design You're that stuff. You're benefiting from their power. You're benefiting, yeah, from, from their higher level of advantage than the rest of us. Well, and right. So you're debunking a, a assumption that one creature having a higher level over another creature is inherently abusive and coercive and only beneficial to the one who's better. Right. So the structures in society, the inventions, the super smart people, the, the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates of our world have created wonderful uh, wealth and opportunity for millions of people right. around and, them. And people look at that and say, well, that's not fair that he has so much money. Well, actually, I, I would say that, I mean, if you look at how, let's say, uh, the Microsoft Office software or the computer or the Windows operating system completely revolutionized the world and allowed, right. think of all the, the growth that has happened because computers are mainstream. Right. I would almost say that Bill Gates is not wealthy enough. Right. Like based on that. I mean, that's not my decision not to your... make, right? That's the Marcus decision to make. But the point is that people have advantages and those advantages turn into money often. And if you look at things from a purely financial perspective, you're at a great risk of becoming envious yeah. and missing the bigger picture. Yeah, so that, that's, that's a really huge point, I think, because um, one of the assumptions in like a Marxist or communist or socialist view of life and this uh, privilege and power view of society is that um, 
wealth and privilege is a zero sum game. Right. So if I have more, that means that you inherently have less because I have more. But that is that's false because you look at how much Bill Gates, for example, took you know to make what he made. Well, the um, the amount of wealth that he has created for other people is immensely. Yeah, it just totally yeah. un, unlike anything he took up or he costed society, right? right. So right. wealth and opportunity and blessing and privilege, it's created and it's multiplied in God's world. And that's kind of goes along with Genesis 1 where God says cultivate the world and make it better and build it up and create stuff. Right. So we're, if I'm making stuff, if I'm creating wealth, uh, that does not mean I'm taking it away from someone else. That's just, that's just false. It's just not how the world works. It does. I mean, unfortunately, under certain systems, that is the case. I mean, I was reading about, um, you know, a lot of developing countries, the problem that they face, like if somebody gets an education or they want to start a business, they often move away from their home country. Right. Because it's almost impossible to start a business in a place where your family will expect you to just give them things for free because that's kind of the expectation in those places. Or if you get a job somewhere, a job is basically just a way for you to steal things to give to your family. Right. And that's how people get ahead. Um, and, and those are societies that haven't quite developed a perspective on, on, on business and on wealth and et cetera. Right, but see, and that that actually, I think that highlights another point about this whole privilege and structures in society, like institutions, and some people are higher than others. Like, a society that is well-ordered is a society that has effective structures that serve people. Um, And for a society to be well-ordered, it has to ascribe to a certain idea of objective truth. Right. Because our laws have to be based on objective truth. Right. right. Things that right. we can agree on um, for society to function. Right. 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 Well, and so that's because I was listening to an interview like prepping for this. And the guy, the scholar who was talking said, um, if you look at even nature and human history, um, oppressive rulers, uh, rulers who only oppress, who, you know, this, the social justice mantra of today is that all power is oppressive and all privilege is oppressive, those who are below. Um, and that's kind of all the, the, all that there is. But when you look at reality, when you see oppressive rulers, those rulers don't last hmm. and their power is unstable. Right. Um, and, and then the opposite happens when you have societies who govern well and you have societies that have good structures of authority and submission and accountability. Um, actually, it is those layers of power mm. that create well-being, stability and and uh, just prosperity. For yeah, I mean, all involved. You look at like um, the United States, people complain about the massive amount of bureaucracy there is and all these different levels of government. But the fact is that in our constitution, you have the checks and balances that were built in between the judicial system, the legislative system, the executive branch. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we can weather good and bad presidents, right? Times of prosperity and and times of, you know, poor economic growth. And yet we're still a very stable country. Whereas a lot of other places, a single bad ruler just does the whole thing. Yeah. The yeah. whole place just becomes a disaster after right, that. Right, So, and I think this connects to what you just said about objective truth too, because 
oppressive rulers are the ones who are not accountable to a higher standard. Right. Oppressive rulers are the ones who say, I am the standard, I do what I believe is right, and I'm gonna take the power and do it my way, right? But the, in a system, in a country, in a society, where there's an ob objective truth, understanding that we don't invent truth, truth is outside of us and we are accountable to the truth. Mm -hmm. In that kind of society, you have, um, you have levels of authority, you have different bureaucracies and institutions that make simple things like the bus, the bus system run and people can, who don't have a car, who don't, who don't own a home, you know, can step out onto the side of the road next to the bus stop and it's going to come right on time. They're going to step on and drive to the store for 25 cents or for right. free or whatever. So like that privilege and that blessing is given. But here's the thing. I think the people who are anti uh, privilege, who are saying that all power corrupts, these people don't believe in objective truth. So these are the people who are saying that authority corrupts, but they're actually the ones championing a view of reality that denies objective truth. So it, at the end of the day, the, the, much of the social justice stuff today is anti like authority and truth, but they're creating right, it's a about system. about taking down the system. But they're actually creating real oppression. Yeah. That, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. They're actually creating, and, and if you don't believe, like, maybe we've seen this where you're talking to somebody who, who doesn't, or you watch YouTube, like people arguing, you know, um, highly rat radically progressive people who don't believe in truth, only believe in their own truth. They're not going to be able to have a dialogue like this. Right. They're going to yell and try to shut you down. Oh yeah. We've all, hopefully at some point seen those videos of people just like a, a college a speaker comes to their college that they don't agree with and they're just screaming and out there protesting and like to the point of violence right. almost. And it's just, but, but it's unbelievable. Of, yeah. And, and think how ironic this is in the name of opposing oppression. They are creating oppression, right? They're actually creating real oppression because they're saying there is no truth out there. Truth is only in me. And don't you tell me what I believe. Well, what's going to happen if that person gets power? <laughs> yeah. That's horrifying. We're yeah. all screwed. Yeah. You have the exact same system that, I mean, any communist nation had, right? In the 1900s. Right, right. right. So that, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like on the surface level, it may sound like, oh, you know, um, it's, it's terrible what happens in society when there's this oppression and all these people who talk about this sound so noble who want to oppose, um, you know, abuse and, and racism. And again, I'm not like saying all of them are lying um, and trying to, take over the world and just oppress people. But the philosophy underneath it, the worldview starts to direct you in that direction. Yeah. Right. So this is, I think what you'd call Western privilege or the Western blessing is being born in a society that values this objective truth, that values the rule of law um, and understands people and institutions in their proper place. Right. But then there's also, if you look, if you look like, narrow down to an even smaller perspective, you have like the privilege of the family. Mm. And I think that's a really important, that's probably the most important one that can't be overlooked because the family is the foundation of larger institutions, right. right? Right. Of our society as a whole. Right. And 
I think we have to view privilege within the family as its own set of objective truths and ideas as well. Right. I mean, and, and of course we live now in a time when people would dispute this. Um, I think that they're incorrect for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but it's a privilege to be born into a family of two parents who are together, right? Who have saved some money for their kids who um, are educated. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's who no stable, stable who jobs yeah. who, who probably a lot of books would say who practice some sort of religion. Yeah. Because that indicates that they have a value system, right? Right. That's bigger than just them and what they want at the moment. And a value system, normally most traditional religions value things like inheritance, saving, giving something to your children, Mm -hmm. creating stability, Mm -hmm. right? And those are things that um, have to be really, really careful how you say this, but people talk about white privilege, Mm -hmm. at least traditionally in the West, white families have been more likely to have that stability for mm-hmm. a number like we, we can't even go into it because the it's just such a big conversation to have right but i think that that's where a lot of quote-unquote white privilege comes from is those traditional values well and just the the assumption that um white people anglo anglo saxon origin western people have been in positions of authority right in the west uh in the past thousand years because it's a predominantly white section of the globe correct yeah so um so are you kind of pointing or hinting into the fact that um having certain privileges or privilege elements of being part of a stable family having components in your upbringing you know being taught discipline being taught truth being in a stable community um, having the opportunity to have a job as a teenager mm-hmm. and being taught discipline. These are all privileges that help you kind of that, that set you up for success. Uh, that would not have done that if you wouldn't have those things. Right. Right. And you know, there's more to it than just finances as well. Um, like I look at, at people in your community, um, the Russian Ukrainian immigrant community. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because, um, most of them came here with nothing. Right. Right. Within the last 20 or 30 years. Like in the 90s, right after the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of them came here and resettled as refugees, had nothing but the clothes on their back. Right. Or a bag full of, you know, just whatever they could take with them. Right. And, you know, I think everyone I know in your community is very successful in Mm. some capacity or another. And I think a lot of that comes down to the values. Right. Like you may not have had a lot of money, but you had a strong family. Mm Mm-hmm. You knew how to raise your kids correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you taught them hard work, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think that's really interesting, and it's something that's overlooked right, in our right. society the, now. The, the the value system, and and again, this in many ways, it's not just a Western value system. It's because we came from you know we came from Soviet Russia, which did not value these things. No. But um, it's a Christian Judeo Christian worldview that values uh, the home. It values the church. It values the truth. It values hard work and discipline and honesty. Um, these are just basic pieces of a Christian lifestyle, right? But that uh, is so powerful. I think it was interesting. I think we've talked about this in the past where um, 
what's the book where we them by Ben Sass. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. talks about like basically when it comes to like wealth and success in society, it's no longer measured necessarily by numbers in the bank account. It's more measured on one basic factor. Did you come from a two parent household? Hmm. And th that simple fact, and he was like, he was saying that like a Harvard professor w had asked this question in his class, right. and like 99% of the l progressive Yeah, the ones students, who said that they were in f like in favor of alternative family structures and yeah, such, yeah. were all from two-parent households, two-parent, mother, two father households, yeah. yeah. And this is interesting because recently I read, uh, I read a, um, uh, an article by another, he, I think he's a conservative Christian writer and um, reporter, where he said, you know, if you look at the left, if you look at Hollywood, if you look at um, business and cultural leaders, and you look at these progressive areas of society that champion all these art, these new value systems, these new views of the family and sexuality and gender and all this stuff, right? But when you look at actually how they live, uh, they're all very conservative in their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They don't actually practice what they preach. Um, right. He said he went to recently a convention with a bunch of people who are like progressive and, um, you know, democratic, left-thinking people. And he's like, you know, they were, he's like, I go to pastors' conferences and conventions and I go to like l political leftist conventions and think tanks. And he's like, the, the progressive events are even more conservative in their behavior than the lot of the Christian ones That's in the Christian events. Like I'll be in the I'll be in the hotel lobby till midnight discussing theology with pastors, whereas in the progressive events, everyone by nine o'clock, everyone's up in their hotel rooms putting their kids to sleep. The pool's <laughs> empty. No one's drinking. Everybody's got their families and their kids, and they're living this basic. Uh, like very a basic American middle class conservative, conservative lifestyle life. of values oh. of the family of of stability of uh, you know serving and and being part of a, a bigger yeah. truth than yourself. So I think that's kind of interesting because it points back to the whole idea of a lot of people just take on certain ideas because they're popular, right? Or because it's it's easier to go with the flow than it is to go against it, right? Right. And if you're at risk of being called names and called a bigot or kicked out of your job or whatever it is because you speak out against things, then why do it? Right. And, but that, so be, but we don't want to overlook the reality of, so when people speak about privilege and oppression, mm -hmm. like we, we got to admit though, like, so racism is real. Yeah. And it right? still exists. It, it's very real today. Uh, you know, particularly white supremacy, white supremacist type thinking where white people are inherently better than black people or people of color. That is very real and alive today, right? Like we're, we're talking people, you know, in, in this country, we're being lynched based on the color of their skin in the last, you know, this was like 50s, 60s, 50s, even 60s, 70s. Yeah. yeah. So this is in the lifetime of people today. So like we have to admit still, like, um, you, we, you got to balance both sides. You have to say the human heart is deceitful. And um, one of the main deceitful elements is the, the sin of racism. It's the mm -hmm. sin of thinking we are better than they. Right. Um, we are inherently, we have some sort of higher level status than they do, what, whoever they might be. In America particularly, it, it turns out it's like a white Anglo his, historic you know, descent versus African-American or Yeah, born uh, out South of a lot American. of the tensions in this 
you know, in the South United right. States after the Civil War and slavery and yeah, I mean, it's and very somebody, unfortunate. And when we're talking about privilege, we have to make sure that that is, I think that's kind of a, a, a semi-separate topic, right? you know, because again, we're talking about things that are not a zero-sum game, right? right? Like me having a stable family or, or whatever doesn't mean someone else can't have a stable family, right. right? Right. Those are all like fundamental human qualities that are good for everyone to have. Right. But there is the element of injustice being done. Of course. And, um, yeah, there, I mean, do you have, do you have more thoughts? Yeah. On yeah. So like, I think, um, so oppression is real. Racism is real. Systemic racism can exist like our country because it's so seeped in racism. It is, I think it's very true. Institutions can be, um, mm -hmm. have racist assumptions like, oh, all of our professors are white. And so you know, there's this deeper assumption like, well, this person is from a different background. Like what, like it, it can mm. be, it can be subconscious. Like, I think that's true. It can be because that's how humans work. I can, I, I, an interesting way to see it is like, so being from a Russian Baptist Christian community, which is totally detached from the whole race game in yeah. America completely. Right. So we're, it's, it's literally we're, a bubble. We're yeah. a totally different thing. And yet watching like racism and again it's not like racism as in like all people of that other race are lower than us like not explicit but like this deeper assumption like oh well the those neighborhoods are you know colored neighborhoods or like there's this weird like we are better than they like and it's like where did this come from mm -hmm. like where did we learn this did we learn this in soviet russia not really i mean there's there's only Russian people there, you know, but it's, it's a human thing uh, to, yeah. to, to do that. And the other thing is to, to when you talk about privilege, like it's, you have to, somebody from a background like mine or yours, stable, loving family, uh, Christian values, hard work ethic, right? Um, you have to admit that it is much easier for you to be successful more more likely for you to be successful, you know, in, in your career endeavors, college, whatever, than somebody who's in a broken one parent household who has to help work and pay the bills and yeah. like comes home to huge, you know, like fighting and, and screaming, like yeah. can't study as well as you like that's or a having fact. access to a car. Right. Or I mean, yeah, having someone to help with pay for your school. Right. Whatever it is. Right. I mean these are all huge real things. factors. Yeah. But the problem of the whole privilege conversation of today is that it, it flattens everything based on like race and sociologic status. Like, oh, because Sam is white and his family is white and they're like, they, they're stable, you know, like working hard family. Therefore, he's privileged above this other kid. Well, do we, you didn't know that Sam actually has like a health condition right, yeah. that causes him to miss school a lot and has him a hard time studying or whatever, right? Yeah. And your, your person of color who you go to class with um, may have a one-parent household, but that parent makes a lot of money and this person is extremely healthy and strong and doesn't yeah. have the barriers that you have. Exactly. I so, mean, or, or an athlete on a scholarship, you right. know, who's very bright, may have all their school paid for and be doing quite well. Right. You, you don't know what people right. are going through. I mean, you look at like Stephen Hawking. Okay, so the guy, you know, it was like acclaimed by some as one of the most brilliant people to ever live. He's an astrophysicist, you know, incredible IQ, brilliant guy. He has ALS. Right. In a wheelchair. He can't move. 
Right. You know, is he privileged? Uh, like, would I trade positions with him? Household. <sighs> Probably not. Right. You know, I would I would go for the lower IQ personally and not have to deal with those health issues. Right. Um, so you don't know what people are going through. And the, the problem with the social theories of today is that they're overly simplistic. Right. They, 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 they simplify society down to power and oppression, privilege and wealth and wealth. That's big thing, and that's yeah. like, that's it. And so everyone in this category who has these certain privileges is now an oppressor of the people who don't. And it's like, it's just not true to reality. Mm. That's not how the world works. There's so many more layers and complicating factors to how life works. So I think so from a Christian perspective, kind of landing on this, and you were talking about this and you were sending me this in the notes and um, how do we view this as Christians? Right. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Dive in. Well, I think we have to be really careful about the language we use for one. Mm -hmm. I think, I think going back to the concept of blessing versus privilege, I think that we should be careful. I think we should stop using the word privilege within the context of the church. I've, I've heard it used too much in terms of like young adult ministries and such. Like, oh yeah, you're privileged. Like I said, being told that I need to apologize for my white privilege was kind of a turning point in my, my thought process here. I think we should go back to using the word blessing. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of apologizing for your privilege, be grateful for your blessings. Mm -hmm. Thank God for your blessings. Mm -hmm. And then second, I think that fighting for a world in which other people can have those same traditional blessings or privileges mm -hmm. is really important. And that means looking at the policy environment in our country. Um, how do we view the family as a society? Like, do we see um, traditional values as holding people together or holding them back? Right. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how privileged people are, I think. Right, right. When you, see, like, the critical, everything changes when you see the universe as the created work of the hand of God. Right. And then you realize, well, it's not just people oppressing people. Of course, oppressive government regimes can happen. But if historically, the oppressive, the most oppressive government regimes have been some of the ones that championed this artificial equality of flattening all society. Right. Like we, I, I come from the communist world and my whole family's history is, is, is shot through with stories of the system uh, of equal, you know, everyone is equal and, and the, Equally miserable. the tyranny, it's, yeah. it's tyranny, it's forced and, and it's, it doesn't go along with reality. But that wasn't real communism. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's not real socialism. <laughs> they we messed can do it better. up. Okay, China. Well, we can do better than that too. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, you, you, if you don't factor in sin in human behavior and you don't factor in God and his glory and his providence, you cannot deal with reality. When you factor those two factors in, then you see, well, sure, I may have certain privileges, but I didn't get them. Um, I didn't give myself these things. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, what do you have that you have not received? Hmm. Uh, so so he's, he said, he's just, uh, it's a question that makes them look at everything they have and say, everything I have is a gift. So therefore, hmm. if it's a gift, I must steward it well. Right. I don't hoard things. I need to serve others. Right. I need to labor to multiply the things that I have so that I could be fruitful and help other people grow and be prosperous. Right. And I think that's the most amazing thing, because when you view this biblically, it goes back to the idea of vocation, of your unique calling. 
and the way that you serve God using your talents. Right. And, um, you know, if you're going to be, if you're a doctor, you know, do it for God's glory, use your privilege and the fact that you were, you know, bright enough to get those classes and go to medical school and become a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or whatever, and use those skills to help other people. Right. And that should motivate us to create a society, not where everyone has a forced equal share, but a society where people labor and expand what they have for the good of others, mm. you know? And so the, the fundamental difference there is a Christian view of society is not about the individual. It is about your part in the world that God has created. Right. And it's given not about you. what you want. It's stewardship, yeah. right? Where a, a socialist view of reality, an atheistic view of reality is all about the individual. Mm. How much do I get? What is my part? How can I, you know, what, what is the little dose of... How can I glorify myself? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just me. What do I get out of it? Right? That's not, the, that's not what the first question that Christian asks. The Christian asks, well, I have everything because God has given it to me. And mm. how do I give back? Yeah. It's a totally opposite question. So theology transforms um, philosophy. It transforms politics. Yeah. It fr- transforms everything. So. Cool. Sweet. Well, there's so much more we can say on this, but it's been really cool talking to you on this. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening, for watching. It's been cool to be able to release more videos. Uh, And if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, if you're just listening on audio, check out uh, the Wellside Podcast on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, uh, head over to iTunes and leave a review. That really helps other people find the show. The other thing you can check out is uh, well-said.org. That's the website. It's kind of the home base of the, the podcast. And you can find articles there and stuff like that. The other thing that you'll see there is a little support link. If you want to help us keep this thing growing and expanding and producing more thoughtful content, you can check that out and chip in a couple bucks and keep this thing going. Thank you guys so much for uh, being with us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay.